I don't trust my uh, wireless microphone. The window of my office was open during the hurricane. And that microphone was sitting on my desk. And so she's cutting in and out a little bit. But I'm thankful we have this one. Uh, before we really get into the sermon, uh, it being Thanksgiving, I just want to give an opportunity. I know you guys were sharing with each other things that you were thankful for as we were mingling earlier. Anyone just want to share something that they're thankful for right now? Floor's open. Oh, go ahead, Darlene. Electricity, yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that one. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you to Samaritan's Purse. We're, we're thankful to God for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're thankful for that for sure. Sure. It it definitely brought us into close proximity around candles. Yep. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. For sure. For sure. I uh I'm thankful. Uh and also this past week I've been very angry. Um, I tend not to be the kind of person who like tries to rage on social media and that kind of thing. Like I purposefully stay out of comment sections because I think comment sections are kind of a the display of the depravity of humanity all in one kind of place. If you want to see how messed up human beings are, go to the comment section. Um, and, and so I usually stay out of social media conflicts. And I I was so close to to just raging on social media this week because I saw a post uh, that came out of the religion news about something that was said by the Moscow Patriarch uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church. His name is uh, Patriarch Kirill. I have a picture of him uh, actually up here. And he's, he's essentially like one of the popes of Eastern Orthodoxy, of, of that kind of branch of Christianity, probably the most influential voice in uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. And he delivered a sermon on September 25th, the week that we couldn't meet because of the hurricane. And during that sermon, he explained shortly after Putin had declared, you know, that they were going to mobilize the military and conscript young men and that kind of thing. This patriarch proclaimed in a sermon that any Russian soldier who dies fighting for Mother Russia has their sins forgiven because their sacrifice is tantamount to the sacrifice of Jesus. I, there are a few things that make me angry to the level that that kind of thing makes me angry. It angered me because it was someone in a position of power in the church using his influence and essentially the sway of the gospel, so to speak, as a means of propagating an unjust, aggressive war in Ukraine. But also it was someone who was 
openly declaring a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus. I don't use terms like demonic lightly, but to me, this ventures in that kind of territory. And what angers me is not only that all of a sudden Eastern Orthodoxy loses much credibility because of its just obvious in bed with power in Russia, but also because there are going to be young men who sign, who, who go out and fight for Russia thinking that if they die, it means their sins are forgiven because their sacrifice is tantamount to the sacrifice of Jesus. Few things make me this kind of angry. It's only a non-Christian gospel. It is an anti-Christian gospel. This week in our series through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we are looking at a passage of Scripture where John is addressing those who are teaching things that are obviously contrary to what is established as the good news of Jesus. And he uses very strong language, language that some of you, it'll make you perk your ears and you're going to listen more because of it. We're going to look at 1st John chapter 2, verses 18 through to 29. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to pull out a couple points. John says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have been anointed from the Holy, from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? It's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised to us eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know know that he is righteous, you will know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Let's talk about this whole Antichrist thing, because as soon as I said those words, half of you were leaning out, half of you, your eyes glazed over because you're like, I don't want to talk about weird end time stuff. And what's interesting about this passage is John very openly says, we are in the last day. Now, 
there has been a, a renewed kind of emphasis for a lot of people on like end of the world theology stuff since the pandemic, right? And then like inflation and conflict with Russia and, and Ukraine. And like most people are like, all right, where's my revelation chart? And how can I, you know, draw which figure is where and, and those kind of things, right? Some of you are deep in that game. But John here is saying, we know that we are in the last hour. He said that 2,000 years ago. It has been the last hour, according to John, for the last 2,000 years. And so uh, it's, it's very easy for us to kind of jump to conclusions of, of, okay, this is the last hour now because, you know, Russia's mobilizing. Or this is, this is the last hour now because there's a global pandemic and churches couldn't meet for so many months and they're arresting pastors and all this stuff. 2,000 years. Maybe John's perspective of what the last hour is is something different than some of our kind of like end of the world obsession that we tend to have, especially kind of in the Cold War generation moving forward. What is this last hour? Well, he describes the last hours. We know it's here because there are these antichrists around. Now, for those of you who are really into the end times thing, you're like, oh, well, we're anticipating this antichrist figure who's going to come and set himself up against Jesus and all this stuff. And and you have heard a lot of people make a lot of uh, educated guess, uh, guesses throughout the, the decades of who this antichrist figure is. It happens to have been every U.S. president who's ever come into office and every pope that's been the pope since however long. You know what I'm talking about. If, like, if you've been in these circles, you know the guesses go out very quickly of who this Antichrist figure is. John was saying, listen, there's all kinds of Antichrists around. There's all kinds of those who are setting themselves up as opposed to Jesus. And this is how we know that, that we're in a strange time. And for the last 2,000 years, I would argue that what John says about then is true now. That, yes, we're in this last hour, to use the same language as John. And uh, there are, yes, an Antichrist coming, but many Antichrists with, uh, among us now. What we have done, unfortunately, is we have put so much time into trying to... Uh, identify a particular figure as the quote-unquote antichrist that maybe we're we're missing the point Uh, i want to argue this morning that it's less about identifying the antichrist and it's more about knowing jesus well enough to tell when something's off for our spidey senses so to speak to go off when we hear something like the patriarch of the the russian orthodox church proclaiming a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of jesus but even to familiarize ourselves with the good news and the character of jesus in such a way that that we're we're beginning to discern when the teaching or the influence of of certain figures is beginning to go off course and is leading us in a direction that is not towards Jesus, but away from him. What are the voices in our lives that are setting themselves up as contrary to Jesus? 
as the alternative, who are trying to convince us that, that what we need is not a Savior to redeem us, but something else. What is it that's saying that, oh, Jesus just needs to be this small corner of your life, but your real help is going to come from somewhere else? The question for us this morning as we work through these questions is, how well do we know Jesus in order to be able to discern what is not of him? I love the the quote, and I think it was it was Daryl Skeppers who who said it to me the the first time I remember hearing it is is you you tell you can tell a counterfeit hundred dollar bill by being very familiar with a real one. And for us as followers of Jesus, familiarizing ourselves with Him and what He teaches and who He like His character, the kind of gospel that He proclaims familiarizing ourselves, anchoring ourselves in that is what we need in a time where there are all kinds of voices leading us in all kinds of different directions. So my question to you this morning is, first of all, do you know him? Do you know Jesus, not just in like a a mentally acknowledge that this guy was a figure, but do you know him as your king and your savior? Do you know him in a way that you can talk about your own relationship to him and with him? Do you know him personally in that way? And and do you know his teaching, what the New Testament says about him? I, I heard someone say this week that that one of the downfalls of our the the vast library that we have of Christian resources out there, like the number of podcasts and YouTube channels and books and all these kinds of things, like we are in a an overabundance of those kinds of things. But maybe one of the downfalls is it is we have this nicely curated collection of opinions about Jesus when we're actually not encountering him ourselves when we're not actually diving into what the scriptures say about him. And so we'll look to our influencers and we'll look to the books and we'll listen to another podcast or watch another YouTube video. But do we know him? Do we know who he is personally? Are we anchored in Jesus so that we're not tossed by every wind and wave of new doctrine or new idea about who Jesus is or new perspective on the guy. John, in this passage, he makes a shift after talking about these antichrist figures, those who would point people away from Jesus, those who would deny that Jesus is our hope and is the Christ. He says, but you, and to use proper grammar, but y'all, meaning not just you, but you, you, have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know the truth. He's speaking to Christians and he's reminding them that they are anointed with the Spirit of God. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, I don't care what denomination or tradition of the church you're a part of, if Jesus is your hope and your Lord, the very Spirit of God, the God who hovered over the waters of creation and breathed life into 
his, his creation lives in you. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And John is reminding us we, don't, we need to not underestimate that. We have an anointing from the Spirit and we know the truth. Here's what's important about this. John is drawing on all kinds of teaching that Jesus did about the Holy Spirit during John's time with him. Right? We remember that we, we believe that the author of 1 John is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. Like he, he was there learning from Jesus. He was sitting around the table at the Last Supper as Jesus was teaching all this incredible stuff. And now he's passing this on firsthand from his experience to the churches he's writing to. And so when he's talking about this anointing of the Spirit, he's reminding them, listen, there's all kinds of these antichrist voices around there. But I don't want you to be afraid of that because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. I, I remember having a conversation with an individual one time where he he was going down some long YouTube rabbit trails and, and was in a spot where he was really concerned of like, if the this Antichrist figure comes up, I don't want to be one of the people who is deceived. And and that was that was his big fear is like, what if I'm deceived when whoever this figure is comes on the scene? And I think this is kind of what John is addressing here. It's like, I don't want you guys to be wrapped up in fear with all these other voices out there. I need you to have a confidence because you are anointed with the Spirit. And here's why that's significant. In John 14, quoting Jesus, John writes, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus teaching his disciples, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now think about this. Have you ever thought about like, okay, these guys who are writing the gospel narratives in, in the New Testament, like they wrote them like 30 years after Jesus's life. Like how do they, how do they know? Like I have enough trouble remembering what I had for lunch yesterday like, how are they remembering all this stuff that Jesus taught or when they were with them? Like, they weren't walking around with notebooks and, like, writing down every single one of Jesus' words. But Jesus is telling his disciples, like, when I go and I ascend to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is going to remind you of the truth that I've been teaching you. That was true for his 12 disciples sitting around that table, and it's true for the 80 disciples in this church today. That his spirit is going to remind us of the truth that Jesus has taught us. And so we might have this fear of, oh, well, when there's all these competing voices trying to pull me away from Jesus, how do I not be deceived? The Holy Spirit in you is going to remind you of the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus, a couple chapters later in John's gospel, is recorded as saying, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So not just bring things to mind, but he will guide you. He'll direct you in the decisions or in, into reminding you of, of what is true moving forward. He will not speak of his, on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here's what's important for us. Sometimes as those who are in church circles that aren't like, Pentecostal charismatic we we all of a sudden like 
get a little leery when we hear about like, oh, the Holy Spirit. Like, well, what if the Holy Spirit says something to you that's really weird? The Holy Spirit isn't going to say or teach something that is contrary or that is kind of like out of left field compared to what Jesus has taught. Like John here in John 16, he's quoting Jesus saying, he's not going to speak on his own, but speaks only what he hears. The Father, Son, and Spirit are of one like mind together. Like they, they share the same theology. They don't have different opinions. And the Spirit is going to speak to us and remind us and guide us in the truth that is consistent with Jesus and with the Father. We don't have to be scared of the Holy Spirit. When things go into left field, that's on us. That's not on the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are anointed with the Spirit of God. Here's what's really cool about this passage. This is, this is, we're going into Bible geek territory a little bit here, okay? John talks about the believers as anointed ones. The word Christ literally means anointed one. Christos is the anointed one. And so he, he is talking about uh, the, the believers as if they are kind of like, they're images of Christ. They're, they're, they are little lowercase a anointed ones, so to speak, because of the Spirit. And he is contrasting them with the anti-anointed ones earlier in the passage. That there's this sharp distinction of those who have an anti-anointing, who are contrary to the word of Christ, and those who are anointed, who are, in a sense, little Christ. That's what Christian means, to be a little Christ, to be little anointed ones. We don't need to be afraid because we have the Spirit with us. Towards the end of the passage, John reminds his readers to remain in Jesus. This word remain comes from the Greek word meno, which is uh, in many translations, you might, uh, you might remember in you know, King James and others, abide. right? Or the, the old hymn, abide with me. Or in John chapter 15, which we'll look, look at in a minute, where Jesus tells his disciples to abide in the vine, to remain with him, to dwell with him. These are all words that are translated from this same one, depending on your translation. What John is saying to these readers is like, listen, with all these voices around, have confidence because you have the Spirit, and stay close to Jesus. Remain in Him. Dwell with Him. Find your life in nearness to Him. Like, move in and get close with Jesus and stay that way so that when all these voices come, when all these influences come, when people set themselves up as opposed to him, you are so close to the one who is true that it's obvious what is not true. I want to read to you from John 15. These are Jesus' words. Again, same author quoting from his time with Jesus. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. But he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more uh, fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So remain, dwell, abide in me. And I will remain, dwell, abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If we want to be in this for the long haul, if, if we want to pursue Jesus and, and find ourselves, like John says, when he returns in a place where we are near Jesus and we are founded deeply in the truth where we're anchored in him, we need to remain close. We need to abide. We need to dwell. We need to remain in Jesus. The question for us is, so what does that look like? First of all, it, it means that we need to stick close to what he's taught us. It, it, is, it is so easy to, to have these different kind of pictures of Jesus based on the, the emphases that we like. We like the, the caring, compassionate Jesus. Or we like the kind of gruff words, hard sayings Jesus. Or we like the Jesus that does all the supernatural stuff. We need to remember that Jesus is who he was recorded to be by his disciples. We can't have our own kind of version of Jesus. We need to be reminded of who he is and stay close to that. Stay close to what he taught. Abide in him and in his teaching. But we also need to remain with him personally. It is so easy to be able to rhyme off verses about who Jesus is. It is so easy to make a list and say, oh, these are the qualities that Jesus has. It is easy to be able to talk about someone yet not know them personally. To have the ongoing relationship with them. John's invitation to remain in Jesus is to stick close to him. And, and for some of us, man, like we struggle with that. Like it, it's, it's easy to say, all right, we'll, we'll do what it takes to kind of get out of church or get out of bed on Sunday morning and get to church so we can, you know, do church and, and sing the songs and, and hear the sermon and that kind of thing. But, but I'm going to argue that like... Sunday morning isn't abiding. It's part of it. But it is the ongoing choice to stay close to Jesus throughout our week. For some of you, you have had this like decades long, you've got your morning Jesus time. And that has been kind of what has helped you throughout the, the decades stay close to Jesus. And that is, that's what abiding has looked like for you. Some of you, you have young kids, <laughs> and it's just, it's just a different story. And so it's easy to say, to prescribe something and say, you need to wake up at 5.30, have 15 minutes of Bible reading time, pray the Lord's Prayer in your own words, and pray for the people that come to mind, and, and you know, journal with Jesus. Like, to prescribe that, here's, here's the prescription for you to be able to abide, remain with Jesus. I don't think that's what it's about. It's about 
what does it look like for me in my day to day to live close to Jesus? Maybe that is, I, I actually do need to develop the discipline of a morning Jesus time. Or maybe for you, it, it is, I need to choose that when I'm at work, I'm, I'm shifting my perspective from how can I uh, maximize my, my performance to how can I actually embody Jesus' teaching where I'm at. Maybe it means I'm going to invite people into my life who can remind me of the truth of Jesus and who I'm going to give permission to call me out when I need to be called out. Maybe for me, it means that <clears throat> that I'm actually going to open my Bible. And it's not necessarily going to be morning time, but I'm going to commit to say, all right, I hear a lot about Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. Would you encounter me as I read of who you are? How might God be inviting you to remain, to abide, to dwell with him? One broad brushstroke, I don't think, is, is the prescription. But I think it's working through with Jesus. What does that look like for me to stay close to you? I love at the very end of the passage, uh, where is it here? In verse 28, this translation says to continue in him. That word continue is the same word that we've been talking about as remain, as abide, as, as dwell. But it's like this remain but moving forward. To continue in him. You're already close but just keep walking. Just keep walking. And maybe that's half the battle for us is to say, all right, regardless of what tomorrow is, regardless of whether the power comes on, regardless of, of my mood, I'm going to, by the grace of God, say, all right, I'm continuing in this. I'm going to walk forward with Jesus. And there, there's going to be all kinds of things that I'm going to face. There's going to be all kinds of voices that I'm going to hear. There's going to be all kinds of influences and distractions and things. But I'm choosing to continue in Jesus. Because he's the one where I find my hope, not in anywhere else. He's the one who took on my humanity and bore my sin on the cross. He's the one who defeated death by being raised on the third day. And he's the one who by his spirit that is anointed and dwelling in me is going to help me to continue to remain in him throughout the rest of my life. So let's not be afraid of the different voices that are around. Let's remain close to Jesus as we continue in our hope in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are our hope. And despite all the influences, all the voices, all those who misuse religious power, 
for the sake of their own agenda. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would remind us of your truth. Would you help us to continue in you, to remain close to you? And God, as we seek to be close to you, would you draw close to us? God, I pray even this morning that maybe in our hearts, we're kind of like consciously making that choice of like, okay, Jesus, I want to be close to you. Holy Spirit, be close to us. Show us what it, what it feels like to abide. Help us in this lifelong pursuit of closeness to you. Free from fear, full of confidence that the one who was crucified and was raised from the dead is our one and only hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.